morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Heidi, and I'm honored to read you today's passage in Chinese. Philippi 只要存心谦卑，个人看别人比自己强，个人不要单顾自己的事，也要顾别人的事。你们当以基督耶稣的心为心，他本有神的形象，不以自己与神同等为强夺的，反倒虚己，去了奴仆的形象，成为人的样式
the book of joy by many. I, I'd say that it's really ultimately it's talking about joy in Christ. How do we have joy in Christ regardless of what circumstance we're going through in life? And uh, that is a powerful theme that I think I desperately have needed to hear again and again is there's so many changing circumstances in life. And Paul's going to transition here into, into chapter 2. He's going to enter into an idea that is, I think, just as hard. In the first chapter, we talked about battling for joy in Christ. It's, it's a battle. There's so many different things that can distract us from that. Paul talked about how we battled in prayer. We battled through fellowship with others together in this. And we, we battled through just laying hold of Christ in the every moment uh, struggles that we go through. Paul talked about some of his struggles in chapter 1. So as you go into chapter 2, Paul, as he transitions in the next chapter, is talking about living together in joy. Now, if we look at all of the relationships around us, the world does not usually uh, show joy in all of its relationships, does it? There's usually a combination of joy and challenge, right? Uh, I remember our first year of marriage. I have married an incredible woman. I am so thankful for Tammy in so many ways. And that first year especially, there were so many fun things we did together. We traveled. Uh, we got to do fun things together, like just go for runs. That's one of the favorite things that both of us love to do is to, to go for a run. Um, I remember just uh, going for a run with her. I can't remember how long it, into our marriage it was, uh, but it was uh, one time I was, we were going for a run, and, and Tammy gently said to me, sorry, it's still not working, okay, uh, gently said to me, hey, Josh, you're running too fast. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me. I love to run fast. I mean, I was trained as a sprinter. Like, I'm not a marathon runner. I'm a sprinter. I love to run fast. And so uh, when... She said that to me. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I should probably pay attention to that. But unfortunately, she's had to say that to me many times <laughs> throughout her life. And actually, as I was kind of reflecting on uh, speaking today, I was thinking, you know what? That's a theme in my life. I often run too fast. Uh, I often am getting ahead of God, getting ahead of other people, kind of pulling people along. And, and that's a struggle in my life. I, I have great ideas. I have great plans. And I have great energy that I can take it somewhere. Now, in marathoning, those of you who have ever run a marathon before, uh, I love to run long distance, distances now. Um, there's a term called hitting the wall. If you run too fast, you are going to, about mile 22 or a kilometer 33, 34, somewhere in there, you're going to hit a wall. You physically will kind of get to a point of your body can't give anymore. And you have this intense, uncomfortable experience. I've had this before, not as bad as some but you're just basically feeling like you can't go any further. And honestly, I feel like a lot of times uh, I'll run into this wall in, in, in my relationships with other people, with God, because I've run too fast. Now, we all have different struggles. Maybe your problem is not running too fast. Maybe your problem is being passive, being on the sidelines. Maybe your problem is that you're wanting to do things but not necessarily checking in with God on them. Or maybe you're completely off somewhere. I don't know your personal circumstances, but I know that the problem that kind of overlaps for all of us is that our plans, our desires can come into conflict with God's plans and desires. And that breaks relationship with Him, and it breaks relationship with other people. So Paul's going to deal with that topic head-on today as we move into the second chapter. So Okay, still trying to get this to work. There we go. Okay, brief review of Philippians for all of us that haven't been here. If you want to start turning, you can turn your Bibles or your Kindles or your phones to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, again, just to review, because we want to get ourselves into the shoes of the original audience. There's a deep emotional 
impact. It's the sense of you're getting into a play of something was played out at that time, but also it was a sense of God is letting us know what the original author, Paul, wanted to say. What did he want Paul to say? And what did the original audience take from it? So that we can say, okay, let's go across the bridge of time and culture and bring it into our own lives. We have to get a really good understanding in order to do that. So, get yourself back into those days real quick here. Where the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, is writing this letter. He's on house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. It's one of the second books he wrote, uh, about 60 A.D. is what some would say. And it's written to people who live in a place called Philippi, a large area at that time, a Roman colony. When you're a Roman colony, you've got power, you've got prestige, and you have influence. This audience of people he's addressing, you can read the story in Acts 16, Acts 20. It's an amazing story. I won't tell it again. But it's a story that tells God taking a group of people and completely transforming them. And the place they lived in was not an easy place to live. Rome had its own culture. Rome had its own gods. Rome had its own government. They already established, in a sense, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is not. And now you bring in Jesus, who turns everything on his head. Jesus is the only Lord. There is no other besides him. And so it can be difficult to live together in in peace and joy when you're, you're going up against that. So you can turn to Philippians 2 if you like to. Sorry, still not getting this to work. I know I've pointed there. I pointed there. Okay. So living together in joy. Let's pray. Let's uh, ask God as, as we're getting into his word to really speak to us that he might uh, do what he wants to in our hearts. Heavenly Father, um, we've already read uh, part of the passage we're going to look at today. We want to ask that, Father, you, you ask us to live together in joy because you know it's a deeper experience of you that is done in your body. We need to be connected with others who believe in Christ in deep ways, Father. And, and honestly, Lord, it's a struggle for us. Sometimes we're, we're not there. Uh, we're thinking of what we want to do first. And so, Father, we pray that you do a supernatural work in our hearts today as you challenge us to live together in joy. Help us see what you'd like us to do what changes you'd like us to make, knowing that you live in us and can do all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to turn to chapter 2 myself. Um, It's up there if you'd like to look at it, just briefly. But I'm just going to highlight some different verses. I won't go through it every single verse since we've already read it. But these are the verses I feel like the Lord has really spoken to me through and just reminded me the essential things that I think that Paul is having really uh, God's leading uh, to pass forward. So, verse 2, verse 1 and 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Okay, so first off, this section here talks about, I'm going to move forward to this, uh, having... Being in Christ. Now, we looked at chapter 1, right, that being in Christ is kind of everything. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, really, that you have committed your life to a person. You've said, Jesus, what you say is reality. I have fallen away from you. I have turned away from you. And that I need a right relationship with you. And you did that through your cross. And I have to accept that my, my rebelliousness, my leadership of my life has, has put me in a situation where I need to be reconciled, brought back to you. 
and you do that through your cross and through your spirits, you give me a connection uh, through you to be in Christ. Paul, this, in uh, the ESV, it says, so if. Well, really, it means since. Paul's assuming you have to be in Jesus, have a relationship with him, a deep relationship with him, or otherwise these things afterwards are overwhelming commands that are completely above us. We're unable to do them. Because look at the things he says. Some of them are just crazy. Or I don't say crazy, but they just seem impossible. Complete my joy be being of the same mind. The same love. Being of full accord and of one mind. There he uses that word mind again. That's really challenging. When I, when I look at myself, I often have my own independent thoughts. I come from a country that we thrive on independence. We thrive on independent thought. <laughs> to be of same mind, one mind with someone else? No. That's really challenging. Um, being unified with other people, that is challenging for a lot of us. I don't know what, what it's like coming from your background or you personally. Or are you easier to get along with other people than others? But that's a challenge that's brought forward here. And to be a one spirit and purpose. I mean, I mentioned last time the, the dream team, they had one spirit. They were wanting to go and they were wanting to have the one purpose of winning the gold medal for the United States. Uh, the great American basketball team that won the, the first gold medal uh, for, in terms of like the professional teams, the professional guys playing. God has got this purpose for us. He wants us to accomplish this great thing of, of really bringing him into contact with every person on this planet. Because he's the best thing we could possibly have in our life, right? So, Paul says some more challenging things. that He says to have this, to do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I, I think many of us want to really be known, to be, to be good at something. And, and that can turn into a, a sense of, oh, I'm better than him. I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm excellent. That, that can turn into whatever it be, being, being in our job, being a father, being a mother, being a, a spouse, whatever it is. There's, there's many different things that we can say, I want to be the best. I want to be really good. There's a certain sense of sometimes there's things in us uh, we don't know exactly what's going on sometimes, but we want to be really good. And, and Paul is saying, hey, we need to not compete, but we need to consider others better than ourselves. That's really challenging. And then the next is that, sorry, I'm having problems with this. Okay, whoops, we have, need to have, now link fast. Now, uh, Paul says in verse 4, that we need to not only look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, these are challenging words. But I think the key is found in verse 5, where it talks about having the mind in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's lots of other verses that talk in the Scripture about the mind. It uses the mind three times in five verses here. The mind is an important thing for us to know what is that mind. Um, that mind really ultimately is in Jesus. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is King, he needs to be leader of everything. If he leads our mind like the brain leads the whole body, Jesus leads everything. He leads every step of every way. And so it can be done, but we have to receive the mind of Christ in order to live as one. Otherwise, we're going to say, hey, I preference this, you preference that. Sometimes we agree to disagree. But really, God wants us to come to a sense of unity, that we have this kind of love, the love that Paul's talking about. And where does that come from? We have encouragement in Christ. 
We have comfort from his love. We have participation in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what God puts in us, that we could all be connected as one. And we have affection and sympathy. It talks about this deep compassion for each other. God produces that. God's capable of this. God can do this. But a lot of times, I'm standing in the way. I, I think uh, the analogy of falling in love is a, is a great one. And a lot of times, I think when we see people falling in love, we see people in infatuation, right? We see young people, like, falling head over heels and romantically walking on a beach hand in hand, right? Something like that. That's what we think of when we think of love, right? Well, recently, God has just been really working on me and saying, this is more like the kind of love that God wants us to have with him and others. It's, it's, this, it's, it's just this elderly couple. It's this uh, sense of love that has made it through many things. And God's going to take us through many things. We, we all have trials and difficulties in our life. There's things that are not easy. There's things that we are doing that are they're keeping us from having this intimate relationship with God. But when you're in love with someone, you do anything, right? I remember when I was first really head over heels with Tammy, I would do anything. I would drive for hours. I would totally fracture my schedule in any different way that I could possibly see her. You know, I wish I did the same things now. I mean, my marriage would be a lot better if I did the same things now to just prioritize her, to be really consumed with a love for her. The same thing, I think, is true of our relationship with God. If, if God is drawing us near, if we respond as he's drawing us, this kind of love relationship can really impact our life. When we look at those commands, they're no longer overwhelming. They're like, why wouldn't I love other people? Why wouldn't I put them first? Why wouldn't I want them to know Jesus is amazing? Why wouldn't I want them to know his love for them? We, we have to fall in love again, I guess, with Jesus. But a lot of times I'm influenced by my circumstances. Uh, when there's a mess in my house, when the kids are running around being crazy or getting in conflict with each other in some way, I often will respond like, stop, enough. This is enough. Settle down. <laughs> that, unfortunately, I'm responding to my circumstances, like this dad yelling at his son here. I, I, wish I, couldn't, I wish I could say I don't relate with him. But how many times in our life do we see certain situations come up, people do something, and we do the same thing in response? That's normal, isn't it? Whether it be at work. Uh, work, sometimes we have, like, you know, we don't want to get fired, so we have different boundaries around us. I think home is a better example, honestly. Um, or even when there's stressful times in society, I think of getting cut off in traffic. Oh, gosh. Oh, I feel like, all right, I'm glad I cannot carry a gun here in China. You know, not that bad, but sometimes, sometimes there's this, oh, I've gotten cut off 10 times today. You know, there's, there's this sense of these things can grow on you. They can grate on you, right? But God calls us to something higher. He calls us to complete... Uh, Sorry, I'm having a hard time. Coming to the end of ourself. We need to come to the end of ourself. We cannot do it. We're not capable of it. And God doesn't want us to be capable of it. He wants us to be completely dependent. That's why he calls us and asks us to be like children. Children always are asking you for help. We ought to be always asking him for help. Sure, we can kind of get up the willpower to do it, but we're actually pushing ourselves away from him. We're taking ourselves in our own direction. We might even look pretty good on the outside, but in our heart, we're separating ourselves from an intimate fellowship with him that's going to bring life not only to us, but to the whole world. 
when Jesus has complete command, when he is the leader, the whole world doesn't get to see a good Josh Hunt, a good John Bison, a good whoever it is. It's they get to see Jesus Christ in the world. And God is asking, and Paul was asking the Philippians to consider that. And he wants us to see that Jesus is the one. Now, I'm going to go forward here. Because when you think of the one, okay, I'm, again, I'm, sometimes I'm a movie nerd, especially the guy movies. The one. There was the movie The Matrix. Anybody remember The Matrix? Okay, so it's kind of old now. I watched a recent movie. I, I watched it again recently. Um, there's this one figure that he comes in and he's the one that's supposed to make everything right. He figures out the code. And so he can kind of overturn the evil power, right? There's many other movies you can think of. Can you think of Star Wars? Anakin Skywalker, the one. Who does he turn out to be? Darth Vader. That wasn't such a good pick. But, you know, there's a long story. There are a lot of different people that, whatever movie, you can think of the Hunger Games. Hunger Games is another great example. This young woman, Katniss Averdeen, she becomes the hero. And she brings great unity to the galaxy, right? She's the one. Countries, peoples, we all long for someone to save us out of our circumstances. Well, good news. We have the one. We have Jesus. And this is the key pivotal point. I mean, Paul makes it really important here. I'm going to go back up. Okay, so we're, now we're going to do some literary nerdiness. Uh, I got my movie nerdiness, and I got my literary nerdiness. This is called a chiasm. A chiasm is it's, it's, it's a poetic form. Most people say that Paul did not write this, that someone else wrote it, and Paul just kind of informed them how to write, what the theology was to write. This goes up to a climax, or in this case, it goes down. It starts up at the very form of God, Jesus, the very form of God, and it goes down to death on a cross, and then it comes back up to Jesus exalted to the highest in the universe. And there's some incredibly important theology. Paul packaged this as a hymn, as a doxology for the church to pass on. Because most of the church at that time, the Philippians, most of them were illiterate. They couldn't read. We today can just pick up our Bible and read this stuff. They had to pass it on. At those times, there's all sorts of stuff being passed on about Jesus. So, there were many options. The Romans had tons of gods. Oh, why isn't Jesus just another god we can kind of add in here, right? That's what they do in a lot of countries. They just kind of add them in alongside the other ones. Jesus is unique. And Paul made it very clear. This needs to be passed on. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus isn't just God. Jesus isn't just a savior of some sort, a prophet. He isn't a really good man, a carpenter, a Jew. He is the very things he reveals in this passage. So let's look at some of those real quick. First off, he is fully God and fully man. That's one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. But without him being fully God, he has no salvation to save because he can only save one if he's just a man. If, was only a, if he's only a man relating to us, he doesn't have the power to fully do it, right? So Jesus is that perfect connection. And Paul talks about that, how he was equal, equal with God, but he didn't grasp onto it. He didn't hold onto it. He, in a sense... As it says in verse 7, he made himself nothing. Uh, it talks about emptying himself. Essentially, the, the Greek word kind of gives a picture of he laid aside certain things that he could do, 
because he wanted to be completely obedient to his father. He could have done it, but he decided, you know what? I have to become a man. I have to become completely submissive to the father in order to accomplish what mankind needs to accomplish. I have to be fully God and fully man. He emptied himself. And not only that, this is where it gets really convicting, especially within the context of the Roman culture. He uses two words here. He comes down to the word of servant. If you look at that uh, in verse verse 8, I guess it's 7 and 8, sorry, 7 is servant. The word servant there is slave. Over 50% of the Roman Empire was slaves. They did not consider slaves as people, but as property. And then he says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, we know that the Romans put Jesus to death on a cross. They crucified him. That is the lowest form of humiliation you could ever have in life. You're stripped naked and you're held up in public to watch everybody to watch you to die. Can you imagine these Philippians saying, yeah, we're, we're following this guy who was crucified, who was a slave. He became a slave. That is radical. But why did he do that? Because of us. Because I screwed it up. Because you screwed it up. Because we ran away. Because we wanted to run the show. He didn't do it because he was a criminal. And that message ought to change us deeply. Um, recently, just been reflecting like, why doesn't this change me? Why, why does this not affect me? But that's what Paul wanted it to do. That's why he passed it on the way he did. Jesus is the one. Uh, I watched a movie recently with my family that was really inspiring. That shared a similar idea. This, this father who was a big sports fan. He wanted his son to be a big sports fan, just like him. To be an athlete, just like him. And his firstborn son had no eyes. And was handicapped enough he had to be in a wheelchair. Now, at that point, the father could have given up, but the, the, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. I'd love you to watch it. It's called I Am Potential. The, the father sacrifices himself in such ways that this child fulfills their potential. You and I, we had potential, but we decided to kind of turn our backs on him. But he gave up everything, the highest of high, to become the lowest of scum, the lowest of low. For you and me to follow him as he is exalted. True sacrifice. It should affect our mind and heart. Uh, one of the greatest quotes from a book uh, John Piper wrote called Think is that we take... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but it's... it's it's a great quote, and I'm not going to butcher it. So, the mind serves to know the truth that fuels the fires of the heart. That's why Paul passed on this doxology. He wanted their minds to be inflamed. We can train through God's spirit, through God's strength in us, to 
we can think the right things. We can think the things that God says are true. So many things I daydream in my mind all day. I'm sure you daydream. I'm usually thinking about sports, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> something in there about a basketball game or a football game is usually in my head. Um, we can train that part of our mind to think, but it's only through God's strength, right? And as we're thinking the thoughts of God, there's a fire burning in our heart. And when those situations come that are difficult to handle, your emotions are towards God. And you're like, oh, of course I'd let God lead in this situation. I wouldn't let it myself lead it. I don't want to lead it. I want God to lead it. And so that's what, that's what Paul is aiming at, that they would know exactly who Jesus is. Who Jesus is is the most vital thing we'd ever want to know in this world. The world is going after who Jesus is. They're proposing all sorts of things about who Jesus is. If we know Jesus, if we know he is our Savior who's risen from on high, lowered himself to the lowest and died for our sins and rose in power to give us power to overcome everything that we are going through, that makes a whole lot of difference, doesn't it? So are we letting his true nature impact us? And if so, how will we be different? How will we be different because of who Jesus is? Now, Paul takes it further here, and this is, I haven't had this part read, but it, Paul talks a lot about following the leader, and this is where it gets more practical for us. How do we take um, the things about Jesus and put them into action? Well, he obviously talks about that in the beginning of the passage, doesn't he? Well, here at the end, uh, Paul brings in some verses, and I want to read them. And they're some of the verses that I come back to often because they really point out the great mystery of our partnership with God. God, who he is, drawing us towards him, and us, in a sense, having a chance to respond to him. Uh, if you want to turn there in your Bible, you could. Philippians 2, 12 to 16, I'm going to read. I have 18, but I'll read to 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's take those verses bit by bit um, because they're, they're ones that are challenging. Work out our salvation. Most of us, when I first saw that, I was like, work out my salvation. I thought I was saved already. I thought Jesus said, you accept that I died on the cross, you're in. Yes, that's true. We cannot pay for our own salvation, right? But working out our salvation is like follow the leader. Because in verse 13 it says, God works in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Like when we played as kids, we played follow the leader. I'm not sure if you did that in your, your growing up years. Most of us did. If you follow where the leader goes, you're in, right? You, you can keep in the game. You keep in step. You, you don't fall into a pit or something. Well, if you get out of line... You're going to fall, or you're out of the game, right? Um, that's what Paul, I think, is painting a picture of here. God knows exactly where we need to go. He has all the power to do so, but he, he asks us to 
with fear and trembling, to, to fear that we'd actually really mess up our lives if we got off the path, that we would tremble at the effects of sin that could have. They would seem pleasurable, or even leading our own lives seems pleasurable at the time, but eventually we're going to wreck ourselves because we're not God. We don't know the way. We are completely arrogant sometimes. I know I'm completely arrogant and thinking I know what's better than God. And so when God's leading us, he asks us to step in because he's trying to work out something really beautiful. And that's what Paul is getting down to here. Because he talks about God at work in us. Yes, awesome. God is at work in us. But the bad news, and this is the hard news for me because honestly it's something I can struggle with at times. And for a lot of us is he talks about grumbling, and I like the word disputing better because it's, it's used in other translations. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Okay, that's a lot of things, right? That's everything. I was, we were talking with some brothers at breakfast uh, about how we often will complain about either the pollution or the traffic in Beijing. Well, that falls on the lever of grumbling. <laughs> um, actually, these two words are used... Specifically, grumbling uh, has a connection with basically saying, what God has allotted for me is not good. And, and the, the word used here for disputing is basically Paul is saying he, they were even bringing people into court. So either you're complaining against God or you're complaining against people, but you're blaming somebody else for your problems. You're, you're not, in a sense, getting on the solution side of things. Now, Charles Spurgeon, another one of my favorite preachers, said that there are three things we ought not to complain about. The will of God, other human beings, and the evil world we live in. God lovingly wants to lead us, and he lets things sovereignly happen because he's leading us on the path that is, is really the best for us. Human beings are not the problem. We all are weak. We all mess up. God, God wants us to love them as he gives us power to love them. And the evil world is supposed to be evil. Hey, things aren't going well in our work? That's supposed to happen. Things aren't going well in the world? That's supposed to happen. <laughs> now, we can, we can, in a sense, through God's power, go and try to make changes. That's, that's important. But in a sense, if things go wrong, there's no need to complain about it, right? Oh, our president's doing this. Okay, great. Your president's doing this. Oh, our government is this and this and this. Yes, they are. Yeah, it's easy to complain, isn't it? My, my country has made it, a, a, I think, an art form to complain, and to dispute. <laughs> like, it's true. <laughs> we do it on all our social media. Whoever has the funniest quote that can complain about someone. Um, it's, it's unfortunately human nature to do these things. But Paul is calling us to something bigger. He says, this is what's keeping you from having joy. This is what's keeping you from having impact. It's because you're disputing and complaining. You're not trusting God. And you're not asking him to use you to love other people. I'm humbled at this because Paul says, and what God wants to do is that we would shine like lights in the world. It's actually, in other translations, stars in the universe. How many of you have ever went into a place, not like Beijing, where you can actually see all the stars? Okay, I'm hoping some of you have done this before. <laughs> in this day and age, it's different. Um, I remember as a, as a college student, I worked at a camp way out in the countryside. And I just remember just loving the times when we could go out and stargaze. And um, just see the stars everywhere was light. Everywhere was light. And this world is dark. There's a lot of things not going on here. When we are full, 
fully connected to the Father. One would say, no, I'm not going to grumble against the things you're allowing in my life, Lord. No, I'm not going to complain against other people and things they're doing, Lord. We are going to shine like stars as we, what does Paul say, hold out the word of life. Which ultimately we know the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word in flesh. But also the word of life is the scriptures that God has, in a sense, left us to connect with him. When, shy, sh- when stars shine, they shine. I love it when my kids will point out, hey, there's a star up there, Dad. That, that's, or that's a planet, Dad. You know, they'll, they'll point it out. We can shine like stars in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in this country, in the whole world. We can shine in ways that people can't shine because it's God shining through us, the light of the world shining through us. But we have to follow the leader. I love that when Jesus came to the first disciples, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He gave them a purpose. They would be used to impact the entire world. All people would know who he is through them if they were but willing to lay down their nets. And are we willing to lay down our nets? I don't know what our net might be. Um, maybe it's just things that you want to be in control of. And sometimes they're even good things. I want to be the boss of this, or I want to be the leader of this God. It's hard to lay down things and trust Him, whether it be with relationships in our life, um, whether it be with our job, whether it be with people really that are difficult. It's difficult to say, God, make, give me the power to love them and help me love them, especially when they're doing something wrong against us. It's easy to be a victim or controlled by our circumstances. I've thought about that a lot this week. Am I following the leader? And what things am I not letting go of? I encourage us all to ask ourselves these questions. Because God wants to do something truly grand. He wants the entire world to see the light of him. He doesn't want us just to have a small, happy little life. He wants the entire world to see him through us. And that's an incredible, incredible joy to be part of something like that. Well, Paul finishes the book, and I'm not going to look at all of this because of time, but I want to, okay, come on. I want to kind of conclude. Because Paul does bring examples in, pictures of Jesus in us. Because everyone can see what Paul is, right? We saw Paul in chapter 1. He was in prison for Christ. People competed against him. He responded by trusting God. He thought to live as Christ, to die as gain. Wow, Paul seems amazing, right? Verse 17, he talks about being a, a sacrificial offering, pouring out his life. He talks about rejoicing with them. His purpose was for other people. He lived for other people. That's really amazing, isn't it? That's Christ in us. Paul also brings up Timothy uh, in the next verses. If you go down, Timothy, he talks about being generally concerned for their welfare in verse 20. He talks that he looks at the interests of Christ. Most people look at other, their own interests. Timothy has proven his worth in verse 22. He's a son the father has served with him in the gospel. So Timothy had that great kind of connection with God. But I think Paul brings up the next example for a specific reason. Because many of us can look at Paul and say, he's an apostle. Of course he's supposed to be super awesome, right? He's supposed to 
have God come through him. He's a saint, as some people would say, right? Or Timothy. Oh, Timothy's falls, Paul's close follower. Of course, of course he's supposed to be great. What Paul does here, I think, is amazing. He brings up one of the Philippians, one they'd sent to serve him. Because I think he wanted them to get. You think you're so little because you're, you're surrounded by this great, huge Roman Empire that is so powerful and so great, and they have all this money, and they have all these privileges. They have all these awesome things. You think that really you can't do this. Oh, yeah, Jesus did that. Paul can do that. Timothy can do that. But me, I'm too weak. I'm too small. Well, Paul says, uh-uh-uh. No. You sent your servant Epaphroditus. And he spends more time talking about Epaphroditus than he does about himself and Timothy. The things he does are incredible. He says he's his brother, his fellow worker. This is verse 25. His fellow soldier, your messenger, the minister to my need. He talks about this guy longing for them because they're upset he's sick. Can you imagine you being upset because someone else is upset because you're sick? (laughs) Well, he was ill towards death. And why was he ill towards death? It says at the end of verse 30, as he kind of says about a number of other things, that he risked his life to complete what was lacking in their service to him. This life, Epaphroditus is a good, great example of what I think he can do in us. Now, you may think and look at your circumstances, ah, I have problems with my spouse, I have problems with my kids, I have problems in my work, or, you know, I, I could never be like Paul. Well, God, God says, you know what? Well, like he said to the Philippians, this Epaphroditus was, he was the same as me. He had this, because it really is Jesus in you. It's Jesus in me. He's the one who does it all. We just have to be willing to lay down leadership. If we can lay down leadership of our life and say, God, lead me in this moment. I don't feel like being loving. Good, you can't do it. That's a good place to be at. I will do it through you. I will glorify myself. I will let everybody know that Jesus is the only answer. In everything, whatever situation you name, in your family, in your work, in society, in good time and bad, he's the answer. He's the one that can do this thing. And that's why he's the one that, again, like it said in the beginning, as we read those verses, he gets the glory. So, so the problem is that our plans, our desires, they do come into conflict with what God wants, but, and we break relationship with him and others. But as we see as we talked about today, sorry, that we can live as one in Christ. These loving relationships, this love from God can flow out of us. If we're in love with him, we can love each other. And that's an, that's an incredible testimony to the world of who Jesus is, right? Uh, I'm not the easiest to love person. My wife obviously walks with Jesus because she loves me well. <laughs> There's, and I think all of us could probably say that, right? I'm guessing most of us could. But Jesus is the one. He's the one that's doing this. The glory goes to him. It doesn't go to me for being great. It doesn't go to any of us for being wonderful. And last off, that we are to follow the leader. Um, he's the leader, not me, not you. And he's going to lead us in a right way. He's not going to get us lost in the woods. He's going to take us to the place of an intimate fellowship with him and with others. We can live together in joy through him. Let me pray for us. And uh, hope the worship team can come and uh, bring us before him again. Heavenly Father, each of us are in different places today. We have different struggles. We have different situations that are 
easy to deal with and hard to deal with. And, and ultimately, Lord, what you're asking is that we would give our lives over to you. You can love the people around us that are hard to love. You can respond to the situations that are difficult to respond to rightly because you, you are love. And you went from the highest of high to the lowest of low. And we're thus again exalted to the highest of all. You can do this, Father. You can love the people around us. You can be that shining light in our workplace. You can be that shining light in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our families. You can be what the world needs. You are what the world needs, needs Jesus. You are the one. We thank you that the Philippians found that joy and they knew they could be transformed in you. And Lord, we have the same hope. We pray that you do it in us, Lord. Meet us, Lord, I pray that we'd make choices this week that would even bring us back into following you, the leader. We wouldn't do it on our own. We'd uh, ask others to pray for us. We'd do it together as a team. So you've made us a team, Lord. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.